third episode of season five of Associated. We're recording midweek, Lois, um, who's also joining me for today's episode. Midweek feels different. I don't know. It feels like I'm I'm in a good mood. The weekend's in sight. Things are happening or not happening. Yes. <laughs> How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. It's Thursday morning. The weekend is definitely in sight. I don't know what it's like for you, Petra, but in London, it's um, very, very grey, which is a stark contrast to last weekend when I was in Battersea Park reminiscing oh. about summer 2020. Wow, that sounds a little depressing, but <laughs> I always feel better knowing that in a few weeks' time, we at least can get outdoor drinks, which I always remind myself of. That's true. We're on the home straight now, aren't we, to the pub? Yeah, yeah. Hashtag vax me, right? Uh, <laughs> <that> vaccine. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, before we get, get into too much of, you know, a vaccine chat, um, I'm very excited for our guest today. We are joined by the lovely Mark Shepard from Beringia. Welcome, Mark. Hi, thank you very much. Great, really great to be here. Awesome. How are you doing? Very well, yeah. Very, very busy, but it was all very exciting. Got lots of exciting things in the pipeline. The big two questions I have is, when do you normally film these or record these? <laughs> if it's not, not midweek. Um, so we've had a number of recordings in the beginning of the week. So I'm quite used to doing them on like Mondays and Tuesdays. And then you're sort of like, I don't know, I think it's like a nice setup after the weekend um, and it sort of like eases you into the week. And obviously pre-COVID, we were doing them in WeWork and our office, Manta Ray's office in Fora. So yeah, in a way, I guess it's been more flexible now because we can just hop on on Zoom for an hour and, and chat. Well, yeah, it's just a fascinating world obviously that COVID has created really, isn't it? The whole joy of remote working and the ability for people to kind of work across time zones, across different regions of the country, not a true collaborate, which is really exciting, I think, going forward as well. It's been really good for Associated, actually. I think we've got lots of guests that we may have struggled to schedule in pre-COVID. So, And this is my first episode of season five, so it's no different for me, Petra. I'm very oh, wow. excited to kick off with Mark. Oh, exciting. Great. Um, <laughs> cool. I, I guess my first question would be sort of related to what we were just discussing, which has been like, how has this past year been for you? I mean, you joined Berengia 2019. So you had about a year of like normalcy and then, you know, the last year chaos, I suppose, or just sur surreality. Yeah, it's been, I think it's been a really interesting kind of journey through when I first started in early 2019 and to today now. I think what's, what's really fascinating is just actually how the job changes and how people have been able to adapt. I think one, one of the big things is that with all VC jobs, meeting people is such an integral part of what you do. And the idea of being able to you know, go and meet founders face-to-face, uh, -face, but meeting other VCs face-to-face, -face. I think the job itself has just had to kind of change and adapt as you go through. I think kind of when you like look at the job, I always see it as like four main parts. See, there's kind of the origination part, which is going out to meet companies, sourcing companies. And a big part of that is to network with other VCs. But a large part of that is also events as well. So, you know, going to SaaS stock or going over to Slash, although I've never made it to Slash. 
one day. And then you've also got kind of the second part of the job is kind of the execution part. And obviously that's kind of face-to-face meetings, you're kind of doing the ICs and actually kind of getting feedback from your IC like that. And then the third part is kind of the portfolio and portfolio support. And then the fourth part is kind of the networking, which I always think kind of underpins the whole job. And whether that's networking with kind of the lawyers and the FDD providers, make sure you know what's going on there, or kind of the same with the portfolio and portfolio people that can help there. I think what's really interesting, although everything can be very instant in regards to you can just Zoom people, it's, it's getting hold of people. And the second thing with the kind of meeting founders, et cetera, is actually kind of that when you go to an event, you would naturally just talk more. And there's probably almost more gossip that happens. And kind of when you're in kind of the, the normal day-to-day world, in regards to, you know, you might go for a lunch with someone and say, oh, have you met this company or I met this person last week? Whereas it's now much just be much more proactive in kind of going to kind of source, okay, coffee with this person, a coffee with this person. I was also reading a really interesting article in The Telegraph recently about Zoom fatigue. And it's just saying, actually, just, I think, psychologically, and I won't go into the, the medical bit because I don't really know anything about that, but just psychologically, how much more like, straining Zoom is all the time. And one of the big things for that is actually seeing yourself. And this is something you don't normally actually do. So I think, actually, it's, it's been really interesting. There's loads of positives, being able to meet companies from across the country really easily, to be able to jump into Irish companies or American companies or Lithuanian companies, for example. At the same time, it's obviously much harder in other ways. Yeah, I totally agree with you Mark I think the other thing is the different channels of communication that you use feel like they get sort of clogged up much more easily like email for example is so much harder to stay on top of because all of that communication that might have been done in person feels like it's gone there or maybe it's slack or teams depending on the suite that you're using I think one of the other other interesting things about Zoom this is a bit of a side tangent so apologize about this but actually, when you're kind of having a group meeting, only one person can actually speak at a time. Whereas naturally, when you're in kind of a, an over, more of an overall forum, people can obviously not talk over each other. But you can more easily be like, can I speak now? Whereas on Zoom, kind of everyone piles in at once, then everyone stops, then everyone piles in at once. And I think it's mm. an interesting way that actually the interactions of groups happens. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was reading, it might have been an article or more likely, if I'm honest, the Twitter thread about different cultures and sort of interrupting and speaking over people and how sometimes speaking over people is a way of affirming and like signaling that you are with them and you know what they're saying and that you're kind of on the same page you know you sort of finish each other's sentences and that's something that you absolutely can't do over zoom because you know people are oh I'm sorry what (laughs) (laughs) anyway um Mark I was interested in you said you joined Berenger early 2019 what were you doing before that what's your journey into this role yeah this is a great question so I think one thing's really interesting is, is that actually the world of venture and going straight into venture at university something that when I started doing it wasn't something you could really do so I graduated back in 2014 I did an engineering degree um re- originally wasn't meant to go into sales and trading and investment bank and then very last minute kind of pulled out of that and decided I really didn't want to be a beer trader. It wasn't really just used to the 6 15 a.m starts but it kind of wasn't something that really excited me so I kind of had a spontaneous gap here um, side note on that went on MasterChef, which is a bit of a fun, fun fact about me there. Um, and then sorry, when, sorry, sorry. Why is that a side note and not the the main topic of this whole episode? You went on MasterChef. I did. That is a oh, fun fact about me. <laughs> we should make this whole. We need to redo this whole episode now, Mark. We we just sure? sorry. food now. <laughs> it's uh, the, the fun story goes, um, and this is definitely a tangent. But if you're happy for me to go for, it, I will was Please. doing my finals um, at uni, doing an engineering degree, and then was like, oh, I meant to start a job. Do I actually really want to start that job in three months' time? Not really sure I do. Let's have a spontaneous gap year. What do you do in a spontaneous gap year? Literally no idea. Um, so kind of went through and thought, I think I was watching MasterChef and Big Foodie, and was like, I'll apply for that as a bit of a whim, you know, kind of quite late night during your stress exam revision. And then, long story short, I got actually a place on the show, 
and then went on the show, did did an episode, and then um, didn't get much further than that. But I could, my claim to fame is I was actually on the TV and I did meet Greg and uh, Greg and John. Incredible. And then, sorry, I go back to the, uh, the kind of my career into VC because I'm not sure that's an integral part of it. Although I am very interested in food businesses, so that's uh, potentially may might be. Yeah. So then, um, so after my gap year, became a strategy consultant. Did two years doing that. Uh, that was very much focused on the kind of commercial due diligence side, so looking kind of the standard markets, competitors, and um, pricing analysis, which I really, really enjoyed. And also a couple of awesome other projects, including designing an automated uh, warehousing system, which was a particularly uh, unusual project. And then once I did that, kind of, I realized I loved being in that, that middle of kind of understanding the companies and working with amazing kind of companies going through private equity back transactions. We kind of felt really trapped in the middle, which I think is people say quite often with consulting, you're kind of, you're not really part of the deal, you're just kind of helping it go through. Um, so then I jumped over to the world of private equity, spent a year in private equity, really enjoyed being much closer to the action, working on kind of big, big transactions, kind of 50 million revenue businesses. And what was really interesting about that, you're working with these amazing entrepreneurs who have built, at this point, like really, really big sized businesses, large, very profitable businesses. But the kind of the markets they were in, the growth they were in were quite different to the world of venture. So we were typically looking at things like care homes, we were looking at things like travel companies, um, equity release mortgages. And these really interesting companies have done so well, but they didn't really spark my passion. And actually on the side of private equity time, I was kind of going to a lot of um, VC events, startup events, and realizing that there was always people trying to like create these companies really which are going to change tomorrow. And things that were just so much passion, so much energy for what they were doing. And I was naturally being drawn while I was doing the origination piece of my private equity fund, drawn to these kind of early stage companies, drawn to meeting these amazing founders. And then at that point, I looked around, I met Kirsty from Jamjar um, and to Alexia from MMC, who kindly met me for a coffee before I went to the world of venture, spoke to them about it. And they were just, their passion was amazing for, for venture and what they got to do. And so then I looked for a job in venture and then managed to join Berenger, which is great. Brilliant. Can you tell us a bit more about your time in private equity? Because I think that's quite a common path that people tend to take private equity to VC but I've, I've never worked in private equity and I don't really understand the difference and why so many people make that leap do you think do you, you could shed some light on that yeah I think so it's two things so private equity is just obviously bigger transactions you do less deals you know I work for a mid-market fund the fund was about 500 million you probably do 10 to 12 deals across that fund over five years so you're kind of doing one to two a year across an investment team of about 12. So it's much less deals going through by volume, um, but also by the size of the business and the, kind of the check size you're writing, kind of a lot more due diligence going on in that phase. And it's kind of a lot more kind of detailed. The other thing is also kind of the style of the businesses is that they're generally much slower growing. Um, so I think the skill set's similar in a way, but there's just far probably less analysis as you go down the spectrum. I always think it's interesting when you go from kind of pure pre-seed, where it's pure founder, to be back of the vision, up to kind of the big private equity stuff, where it's leveraged finance, it's, there's lots of financial modeling. I think what's interesting about venture and private equity is they are sort of merging, and you're seeing this, this mix of kind of the early stage uh, private equity funds is quite similar to kind of the venture market. That makes sense. I think a lot of PE funds are also like, I mean, I've noticed it, you know, reaching out, trying to build relationships with VC funds, because I mean, eventually all of our companies are going to grow up, right? And so they are going to need bigger, bigger support. I mean, we're already seeing this with like KKR, for example. I mean, they're doing so much in sort of the high growth space now. So it's, yeah, it's, you can sort of see the the merging happening. It's, it's also just a last thing about profitability there, because mm-hmm. I think you're right. There's, there's, so there's the, there's the KKRs in this world, you obviously put out the more traditional part of KKR, and there's mm-hmm. the tech side, the kind of the growth, the growth funds. I think Carlisle's got one as well now. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And it's kind of, so the, the trend actually I was in was more traditional, profitable, slower growth businesses, but you're right, there's so much more money coming in. And I think what, and the reason for that is what we're seeing in the public markets. I think a lot, lot mm. large reason for this is that you're seeing amazing IPOs going on. You're seeing these businesses that are still heavily loss-making, popping 70, 100% on the day of IPO and continuing to grow incredibly rapidly. Mm. I think what's going to be really interesting going forward is looking at what happens with uh, the inflationary pressures potentially and kind of whether the kind of the bubble might pop. Mm. Uh, I yeah. think what's particularly fascinating about that at the moment is just seeing this week and the, the volatility of the markets in the last week has been, it's been tremendously high. So you've seen, I think it was on the best day since June one day, and then it dropped to kind of three percent the next day. So the volatility at the moment is crazy. And what's going to happen potentially? Obviously, not claiming to be an expert on this at all, is what happens if these prices start coming down and people do worry about inflationary pressures? Then what, what's the effect all the way down the market? Because if the IPOs and the valuations are dropping there, and they do could come down a bit from what is obviously very very high valuations at the moment, down to then what happens to kind of the Series D, C, B, A, and an impact going forward from there? Yeah, I guess that then feeds into maybe potentially just M&A being a little bit more in fashion for a while or companies just using like the SPAC route to to do it at, at a cheaper cost. Um, I found this SPAC trend also quite interesting and, you know, how companies are opting for that route versus, you know, what you're saying is like tra- more traditional IPOs that are just so expensive also as a process. Is it is it worth it, as you're saying? If valuations keep moving the way that they are, yeah, I find it really interesting that you got like I mean, the news about like, Elon Musk becomes the world's richest man, and then like you know a week later or two weeks later, there's no longer the world's richest man, right? And it's just amazing. It's amazing that you've just got this level of volatility in the market, such that people's wealth can just go up and down like that. And obviously, Tesla's an amazing story of just I mean, things like seven, eight hundred percent of um, share price growth this year or something, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. and it, it's incredible, right? But it's just kind of where where does this go forward? And I think this that actually feeds into kind of Beringer's model actually quite well in regards to the way we approach things as a fund. So we're, we're actually slightly different um, as, as a VC fund to a lot of other funds. And the, way is, the reason I say that is because we don't only look for kind of fund returners. So I think generally kind of people, talk, talk, people in the world of venture always talk about, you know, the one in 10 returns to the fund, et cetera, et cetera. And we've been around for 30 years as a fund. I think in 1988, we were founded and then merged with the US fund in, um, in, in 2000. So, so Beringer, yeah, we're a UK, US a VC fund and we focus on the kind of series A and B stages. But our, our model is that we believe that businesses should fundamentally be able to make money and we're not in the market of companies that will have to be like the winner takes all space. So effectively, we look for probably 70 to 80% of our portfolio to make that kind of three to five X return instead of the kind of the one that makes 10 or 20 X and then the rest that might might fall flat. So it's a model we've been working with for a long time and it's worked out very, very well for us. And we've got a strong history of very strong returns. Um, it's just quite interesting. It's a slightly diff- different model in, in that regards, but you can get a kind of 70% of the three to five X and then you can still make a good, good fund return. Got it. And, and so how did you come to, to choose Berenger? Yeah, it's a good, great question. I think there are three things that really made me want to join Berenger. So the first thing was being a generalist fund. So I think when you're starting your career, like well, was generalist and private equity fund, but there are just so many amazing areas out there. There's so many things I'm excited about, whether it's the mental health tech and health tech more generally, whether it's kind of prop, prop tech or some of these consumer businesses. And I think early on in my career, it's that kind of fascination and curiosity I have with meeting so many different founders doing so many amazing different things. And that, that passion for being like, I didn't even know there was a business we were looking at, um, hopefully closing in the next couple of weeks um, in kind of the infrastructure space. And it's just when you met them, you're just like, I didn't even realize the thing these guys do actually existed, but actually it's such a big problem. And I think when you meet passionate people solving these amazing problems that it for me at this stage it's like i don't want to say i only like consumer or i only like b2b workflows software 
because I think for me at this stage of my career, I'm still very open to learning about lots and lots of different things. So the first thing was about being generalist. The second thing was the stage. So Beringia does kind of series A, series B, and we're moving slightly earlier. So kind of 500,000 revenue and above, really. And our typical check size is probably between kind of three and seven million, although we tend to between kind of two and 10 million. And I think at that stage, when you're kind of series A, series B, it allows me to use kind of a bit of my engineering background and really liking the numbers. There's enough data at that point to kind of really get into something. But it's still really about the people as well. And that's one thing I really like about series A. So it's kind of, there's enough data points to show that they've got something that's a bit of traction. You still have to really kind of believe in the people, believe in the market, and obviously show it and grow from there. And the third thing about Beringia I chose was the people. There are lots of amazing VCs out there. But when I met, when I met the team at Beringia, I was just super impressed by, by them, by their attitude and also the track record. I think what's interesting about, about the team is that they come from quite a diverse range of backgrounds. We've got, we've got some consultants, we've got some bankers, we've got some, some operators, some entrepreneurs, and it's quite a, quite a broad mix um, across the board. A quite funny story, actually. It's just kind of, they're, they're, they're a very fun bunch. So before I'd even, I've had the job for accepted, and before I'd even met any of them, they invited me to their Christmas party. And I was like, okay, great. Like a really, really, not, really nice thing to do. Of course, it's quite, quite an intense way of meeting all of your colleagues. And it was in this lovely hotel um, down in Maribyrnong, and the the invite just said "glamorous goth," and I was like, "Okay, is, it, is this a joke or is this is this real? Like, am I is this like to stitch up the new kid who's going to turn up in like some like fancy dress and everyone else is going to be dressed completely normally?" And so it turned out, unfortunately, everyone was in like amazing fancy dress. Although the main thing is, I can honestly say, to, still to this day, I still actually really not recognize anyone from that night because they were all dressed so so brilliantly that I still can't really recognize who was actually who. But yeah, it was a very very fun night. So yeah, the people were a huge part of joining Berenger. That's so fun. Do you know if um, the diversity in kind of backgrounds, is that intentional? Is it something that the team looks to cultivate or is it a sort of happy coincidence? I think probably it's a bit of a happy coincidence, if, if I'm honest. Um, and I think it's just finding people that kind of fit with the ethos, people who fit in with, with, what, with what they're doing. So you've got Karen, our chief investment officer. She's, um, kind of thing was XBCG, but then also worked for some startups before. And then Maria who um, was also a consultant, happened to be a banker, that also worked, did Birchbox in the UK, um, head of that oh, cool. Birchbox. So they're kind of a bit, a bit of operator and consulting traditional training. Um, but I think it's been a bit of a happy coincidence, but it's, um, yeah, it's basically a great, really great team. Amazing. And so since you've joined, what kind of things have you personally been responsible for? Yeah, so on, on, the, on the investment side, we've got two deals closing last week but hopefully this week so um, we're very excited for so I sourced one in cybersecurity space which we're, we're really excited for and it's, and also does a bit of a counter-terrorism area and another one that I've been working on was in this infrastructure tech and kind of water technologies as well so that's kind of two areas I'm really interested in uh, first deal I sourced sourced and closed in my first year which was really exciting was coming for Commonplace um, and Commonplace does community engagement platform so they help developers both public and private very much understand kind of what the community actually wants in an area so, for example, if you're doing a multi-billion pound regeneration project, it's all well and good having a town hall at three o'clock on a Wednesday where six people turn up for a cup of tea. But actually, that's not what the community actually wants. The community's not actually getting there. So it's a really exciting company doing some really awesome stuff. And what they're doing is they're helping kind of digitize this whole platform and allow to get thousands or tens of thousands of responses about what people want in their actual neighborhood to kind of really make the community voice be heard. And that's a really exciting um, area we think in the kind of the, the prop tech space as well especially when you look at things like social media and people's, like, people's opinions blowing up more. This is a nice way of being able to like, not control the wrong word, but kind of have a conversation in one place that is actually constructive and everyone can have their opinion in, in one place. And it's a really area we're really excited for. And in terms of how you guys are split up, what you look at, what you go after in terms of sector and size and geography, 
How is that decided within the team? Yeah, so we are all um, effectively generalists, although people naturally have their own passions as well. So um, Al, who's my line manager, he does a lot of B two B SaaS, and then does a few kind of few consumer companies, particularly particularly passionate about as well. Kind of, he's quite B two B SaaS focused. Um, Karen does a bit generally a bit more consumer deals and did Luxury Promise, which is a fantastic kind of luxury secondhand handbags, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really really awesome company. So generally, everyone's a bit more a bit more generalist. I think on the geographical splits outside the UK, we will take a different area. So some people might have France, some people might have um, you know Spain. One thing that I've been particularly focused on at Behringer since I joined was looking more of like the outside of London, but within the UK um, area. So um, we. Just before I joined, we closed a deal in Manchester and then we closed another one shortly after that. Obviously, Manchester being a great hub for technology as well and very much up and coming and building well. And then I posed a question to the team of kind of like, what are we doing in like Ireland or what are we doing in like Bristol in the Southwest? And at that, at that point, no one had taken responsibility for those. So I took it on myself to go off and kind of build up our presence, both in kind of the Southwest of England and in Dublin. and really trying to not just kind of visit ever so often, but try to actually kind of be like, Beringer will be here regularly and Beringer will have a presence here. So that's something I've been been really focused on. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Can you tell us a bit more about one of those markets and the approach that you've taken in them? Yeah, sure. So um, let's just start with Dublin. So D- Dublin's a really, really fascinating market for, for a number of reasons. I think the first thing about why I look at these other markets is there are really great startups there, but actually the number of VC funds in each one of these markets is actually very low. So I think in Bristol, there's probably about three to five, depending on how you define VC fund. And about, in, in Dublin, there's about 10. Whereas I think in, in London, there's... Don't quote me on this. I think there's well over like 100, 200 VC funds in, in London. So you kind of there's already this huge uh, disparity between kind of how many people are there and the, the startups. What's really interesting about Dublin as a market is a number of things. First of all, they've actually got I think the lowest tax rates. So it's twelve and a half percent versus I think it was nineteen percent before she put it up in the UK. And what this has done in uh, the twelve and a half percent is pulled a lot of technology companies in there. So you've got things like LinkedIn over there. You've got Google. You've got Amazon. And what that does is you pull these amazing technology companies there, and actually that pulls amazing talent. And then that means in Dublin, you've got people who have, you know, senior at Google, senior at LinkedIn, senior at Facebook, who have all got amazing talent and skills, but actually want to go and start something as well. So you've got quite, quite serious and quite senior founding teams that start. The other thing that's really interesting about Ireland as a market is the seed and pre-seed area as well. So there's the NDRC, which is an incubation accelerator. There's Dogpatch Labs. And these are Enterprise Ireland. And they're kind of the funding for kind of really early stage businesses is actually pretty good as well. Um, and then when you look at why I went over there, so there's about, there's about 10 VCs, there's Frontline, Act, Elkstone, et cetera, which I all know the guys, guys there very well. And, but beyond that, there aren't actually that many compared to where there is over, over here in the UK. And, then there's, and, the, and the companies over there are fantastic. I know um, Flipdish, for example, just raised 40 million um, from Tiger Global. So it's an amazing example of you know, a top US fund coming in and um, actually winning over an, an Irish company and investing from there. And that was a deal we did manage to bring in, but unfortunately Tiger got it from us. But you know, it was a great example of what is an amazing company out there that's gone on to do amazing things and wishing them all the best of luck. I, I had a question around how you would characterize the ecosystem outside of London. Because I think when you're looking from maybe, you know, an outside perspective, when you think of the UK, you immediately go to London as like the tech hub. Maybe Cambridge, there's like, a you know, a lot of great biotech, sort of more science related companies coming out of there. So what's going on in Bristol, perhaps, or um, in in Ireland. Yeah, I think I think it's a great question. I think what's really interesting is going back to the earlier point you brought up about kind of the remoteness of like teams as well being able to work remotely. I think what's what we're going to see is the shift of companies being started more across all these different areas because of actually the better work life balance provide the better 
kind of the, the better affordability of actually moving to these cities. I think with, with Bristol, according to a report I read, the uh, fourth highest level of funding, but London was 10 billion and Bristol was 200 million. So like the difference is still, and then it went, it went London and then Oxford and Cambridge and then, and then Bristol. I think what's really interesting, so like Bristol has amazing universities. So it's got, it's got the um, Bristol University. When I say Bristol, I really should mean Southwest as well. You've got Bath University. There's also some people down in kind of Falmouth doing more in the maritime tech space as well. And then Bristol's very famous for um, it's kind of aeronautical engineering as well, kind of a bit more kind of deep tech. I think what's really interesting about Bristol as well is that they are, yeah, they're only an hour and a half from London, but it's this whole mentality, right? If you like, I've started a business, I'm from Bristol, from the Southwest, my team's from Bristol, the Southwest. Why do I have to go from here all the way to London to meet, instead of one financier, there's like, you know, 200 VC funds in London. So why do I have to make that journey when actually we're here and this is what we're doing? And I think part of the thing that I was really keen on was taking that time and effort to, to move over there and just go and, go and see them regularly. The reason we haven't set up a permanent presence there is because there just isn't the same number as there is in London. So there's a natural balance of actually how many startups are there there. But as a great example, like Immersive Labs raised 40 million from Summit, I think last year, and they're, they're based in Bristol. So there are all these amazing companies forming from that. A, lot, a large part of it, the same with Dublin, is around kind of what the universities do. So University College Dublin is very, very tech heavy. So yeah, a lot of deep tech spinning, spinning out of there as well. So as I think as we go forward, we'll see more and more amazing companies being founded in more corners of the country, really. And we're already seeing some of our portfolio hiring people from Brazil to do things or hiring people from Romania to do things. And this will just allow amazing founders who you say might live in, I don't know, Cheshire, start a company and then hire some world-class talent from, from around the world. And I think that, that's super, super exciting. Something we as VCs need to be aware about that kind of, you know, look more around the country and support people from where they are. Mm. Mark, if I can go back a little bit and just talk about the process of setting this up, because I think you kind of mentioned like no one in the team had taken responsibility for yet. And so you kind of grabbed it and, and ran with that and you've been setting up the presence. In terms of the act of doing that, like where did you start and or do you have any tips for maybe other funds that want to make their mark and maybe do something similar? Yeah, sure. So the main, the main thing was just using the network you have to, to leverage the network. So Finn Murphy, I think we all, we all know Finn from Frontline, really, really great guy. And I, when I said I wanted to set up a more of a presence in, in Dublin and kind of make sure that we are known for having someone in Ireland, just I reached out to him. And I think he was very, very happy to have someone who wanted wanting to come spend more and more time in Ireland as well. So first of all, I think I messaged him and asked him for some from contact introductions. And then just once I met one, then kind of went from there. And I think the most important thing whenever you're trying to show that, guys, I'm here, I'm doing this, is one is actually going there and spending time with them and like and with them locally. And I think that's super, super important. Again, it's back to the piece earlier of kind of putting the time and effort into have a presence and actually have a physical presence. You can say, oh, we, we cover Irish deals, but if you're not actively there a couple of times a year, a few times a year, show you are there. And that's not just kind of give me this deal, give me that deal. It's just it's just arriving, having the coffees with the people, spending meeting some companies. And then also what I then did was went, went a bit broader into the ecosystem. So I went to meet the guy who heads up the um, NDRC, which is the incubator over there and accelerator there. Spent some time with him explaining kind of what I'm interested about and what's over there and learning from them as well, kind of what's happening. So I think proactivity and also just getting feet on the ground and meeting as many people as you can in the general ecosystem, I think is super important. So it's not just the VCs or seed funds who might give you deals, but meeting the pre-seed stuff, meeting people at a later stage, meeting, meeting, meeting some of the kind of the corporate financiers over there, maybe meeting some lawyers over there, just making sure you have a 360 view of an overall area. And LinkedIn's incredibly helpful, just like messaging people on LinkedIn saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. And the Irish are incredibly receptive. I think a lot of other people are incredibly receptive, but they're a very, very fun bunch and you have really, really, really helpful. So yeah, I really appreciate everything everyone I've met along the way has kind of done for us. I also think that Ireland has like a really interesting also 
just te great tech infrastructure, like technical talent. There's great, there's space to set up like a nice big office. The tax incentives are also really useful. Two of our companies have actually set up an engineering base out there. I agree. I think it's a very interesting place. And I think Web Summit was great in kind of opening that, that environment to the rest of the tech community as well, for the time that it was there, of course. Yeah, and then and SaaS stocks doing yeah. a similar thing now, and it, it works well, right? Everyone flies over to, to Dublin, Every, everyone's there, and I normally go a couple of days before the SaaS stocks meet um, all the VC funds I know over there. So there's a, a lot of exciting stuff, it, but it is still a very small system, which ecosystem, which I do actually like in regards to the fact, compared to London, which is just so much bigger, the fact there are only the 10 funds there, you can build much personal relationships with, with everyone. I think it's interesting to pick slightly smaller markets initially, at least when I started, because you can have more of an overall view of it all whereas if you pick something so big and there's just so many funds it's just really hard to kind of differentiate yourself at all yeah what kind of tips would you give someone who's looking to get into in, into a role that you have right now so i think like to get into vc more generally and then progress through to an investment manager level i think there's kind of two p's i like to use um, when i talk to people about this which want to get in it's, one is passion and one is proactivity i always say that when people ring me up and like you know how to get venture as like, you can actually do a lot of this job without being in VC, aside from write the check. So the really early stage parts of the job, you know, the origination, the going out to meet people, kind of helping startups is actually something you can do if you don't have a VC job, but you're just kind of willing to put, put the effort in. And that proactivity, I think, is super important. I think one thing that I found before I actually got the job at Berenger is I went to meet a whole bunch of Series A companies and C companies. I sat down with the founders. I asked for their pitch decks. I looked at their models. I talked them through kind of like, I'm going for an interview process journey here to get into VC. Like, I will have to mention companies I'm interested in. Can I, can I come and meet you? And actually, they were super receptive, right? You've got someone who's super interested in their business and then is also going to pitch them to a VC via a job interview, which was quite a strange concept for them, but actually worked quite well. And so actually taking that time and effort, I think, is, is really important. And it is a super fun job, it, but, and it's super competitive. And I think that's, that's part of it, and trying to differentiate yourself. I know other people obviously invest in Crowdcube um, companies or from an earlier, earlier age, and just showing their kind of, and that ties into the passion thing. I think it's, it's, it's a super fun job, but you do have to really want to kind of be quite proactive in it. Like generally my diary is for me to use every week how I want to use it. So do I want to originate more? Do I need to execute this? Is it portfolio support? And it's that kind of proactivity super important. And then the passion, I think this job, you're meeting amazing people, um, both on the VC side and on the entrepreneur side. You have to have a passion and curiosity for ideas, for new companies, for new areas and industries. If you're someone who just kind of likes to really know everything about one thing, I don't think probably venture is necessary this space for you. I think one of the, one of the best attributes is, is a level of curiosity and open-mindedness as well. I think you have to be very comfortable knowing that you won't know everything, but if you can kind of, you know, learn about, I'm particularly interested in mental health tech at the moment. So based on the back end of COVID, like what's going to happen there and reaching out to founders and understanding what they're, what they're trying to build and that level of curiosity, I think is super important. So yeah, my, my two P's are passion and proactivity. I think are really important to get into VC. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. You were when you were looking for roles, so when you were in private equity and you decided that you wanted to, to take a look at VC, how did you go about discovering funds that were hiring? Yeah, so kind of use a number of number of different techniques. So one is just talk to as many people as you can and be like, hey, I'm looking for a job. Do you know of any coming or going, I should say? Um, second one was kind of headhunters are actually quite useful for me in general. So there's a, there's a number of headhunters out there that kind of work in the kind of VC and growth space and just asking them. I think they're also... Call like corporate finance advisors to an extent, right? They'll look at you on a CV honestly and be like, not sure, or yes, or you need to look at this, or need more experience there. So they're actually quite helpful in kind of giving you that honest, quite quick feedback. And then the final one was just direct outreach. 
just messaging. I saw uh, one fund was hiring and they're like, please fill in this form. And actually what I did was just email the managing partner straight away or the partner straight away being like, um, here's my CV. And he actually replied to me straight away being like, thank God somebody just emailed me straight away because I've got a thousand candidates waiting to be reviewed. And I'm just going to ring you up to, to start with because it feels manageable. Instead of having a thousand that are in that, that stack. Um, so again, I think it's a bit of kind of maybe proactivity just trying to do something a bit different. Mm. Yeah, I think there's definitely something in creativity, isn't there, um, that we're seeing a lot recently. I think maybe last year there was this wave of like, the best way to get into VC is to start um, pretending to invest and maintaining a, a dream portfolio or do the work, do the diligence. And I feel like in the last couple of months there's been a real uptick in like more creative things like that that I've seen, like tailored resumes or like incredible design work. Or like you say, maybe maybe sometimes it's just don't go the traditional path that's put in front of you, but think creatively about who you can contact. I guess it's I guess it's part down to there are you know a handful of really awesome startups, and quite often there's like you know fifty funds or twenty funds chasing one amazing startup, right? So if you're kind of get get in a line and follow the traditional route, it's probably not going to work out for you. So actually doing the job, you have to think you know, creatively. Or if someone doesn't reply to your LinkedIn message, do you know someone who can help you get in there, or or how how you're doing it? So I think that kind of mentality probably shifts across like. There are, uh, fortunately, fortunately for the funds, there are loads of great candidates out there. Unfortunately for the candidates, there are loads of great candidates out there for what is not that many jobs. So if you can, in some way, just you know, do something a bit different and just to show value, and it comes back to the point earlier, of if you don't want to go and meet companies in your spare time or in your evenings or during, during your work day, because it doesn't feel, it feels like too much hassle, then you probably won't enjoy the job anyway. So actually going out and meeting companies and putting in that, that personal time to build up that mini portfolio or find those contacts if you don't enjoy that then you probably won't enjoy the job it's a really good way of testing whether you like it anyway yeah totally agree and um is Berenger hiring at the moment yeah so we're hiring um an associate at the moment and a head of talent at the moment great fantastic do you have any top tips about what you did for your application to Berenger or I suppose beyond what you've already said about being creative I think it's probably lots more lots more creative people than me out there so I'm really interested <laughs> Well, see what other people can come up with as well. Uh, I think well, probably the biggest tip is don't ever think, send things just to, you know, careers at berengier.co.uk or info at berengier.co.uk. Not because we don't look at it, we do, but suddenly you then have, you know, again, hundreds and hundreds of applications. That's your point, right? Creativity. So I think it's very, very much kind of go try and go, try and go above, and be, above and beyond the way you can and try and try and be as open, open as you can and try and find new ideas and new, new ways in. Fantastic. I think that's great, great advice. And, um, Mark, just to sort of round out this this segment on sort of contacting people and and that kind of stuff, it occurs to me that this might be a good place for you to to speak about what kind of approaches you're interested in receiving, whether it's like companies that you're interested in or topics that you'd love to speak to people about. Is there anything that you want to shout out and say, hey, if you've got info on this, please contact me? Yeah, so I'm doing a deep dive at the moment in the um, mental health tech space. It's an area that I'm I'm super passionate about. I think post, or more generally, it's obviously super important. And then post COVID and you know everyone working from home, it's going to be even more important. And as, as potentially workforces become even work more remotely, again, more importance there. It's also yes, there's an area I'm super passionate about. So any founders out there working in the um, mental health space or mental health tech, please do get in touch. So I'd, I'd love to, even if it's a bit earlier than we normally invest, we'd love to kind of get to know you a bit earlier. Fantastic. And um, where can people find you? on linkedin or on our bed brand website you can just email me direct so thank you so much for tuning in to associated uh, as always you can get updates on our latest guests and episodes on twitter 
We're at associated underscore pod, that's P-O-D. And you can email us as well if you have any feedback on episodes um, or suggestions for future guests. You can get in touch with us at associatedpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, please do subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you next week.